All right, Hebrews chapter 2. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to bring your eyes down. Uh, come with me to verse 5 and start right there in verse 5, and we'll read to verse 9. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there, verse, nine, uh, verse 5. <clears throat> For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might Taste death for everyone. Join me as we pray. You know the hearts of your people, Lord. You know where we are. You know those that need extra joy and strength. And Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would minister to the hearts of people you've assembled today. Would you give us strength for another week? Would you bring back the joy of our salvation? God, would you open young hearts to trust Christ above all things? Would you help us as we walk out of here that we might walk out with joy? And so encourage your people today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> all we have, all we have is right now, but right now doesn't seem that great. Inflation is high, everything's gotten so expensive. Stock market has dropped. And everybody I know is tired. Every person in here knows somebody that's suffering. Those that we love are suffering. Work is confusing, it's confusing or frustrating. For some of you, work is just depressing. Politics are terrible. <clears throat> Christians are arguing. And war is looming in the Ukraine. All that's going on, all the while that's going on, and COVID, it just seems random. COVID continues this random killing. Or if it's not killing, sometimes you, some of you have this long-term, it's just stayed, oh, it just stayed with you. Long-term effect. 
Schools can't function well. Hospitals are full. Doctors and nurses are pulling their hair out. Restaurants can't find help. The supply chain is broken down. We've got weird racial tensions that keep heating up even among people of goodwill. And the church in the United States can't seem to find its footing. And into this burning morass that we live in, the Word of God speaks. The Word of God speaks a cool drink of living water for our parched souls. What I want you to do today, it's simple. I just want you to drink. I want you to be refreshed today. I want you, I want you to be strengthened. I, I want you, when you walk out of here, just to be made a little bit more hopeful because this passage we've read is a hopeful passage. You know, the truth is important, and the way truth is communicated, communicated is important. So you want the message to be right, and then you want how the message is delivered to be right, and the way a message is delivered should match the message itself. And this message is full of hope. Let's back up a little bit. When you pick up chapter 2 and you start there in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, and 3, and 4, what you have there is the very first warning passage. The book of Hebrews has five warning passages, and the first one you find is verses 1 through 4. And there he warns the people about the dangers of drifting, the temptations of drifting, and, and would you ever come away from such a great salvation? Verse 4, he ends the warning and he puts that aside and he changes his tone in verse 5. The old preachers used to say their job was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Well, verses 1 through 4, the preacher afflicted the comfortable. He turns it over now in verse 5. He starts to comfort. Comfort for every believer sitting in this room. Every person that is wondering, why would this happen to me? Every time you go to work and you wonder, why do I even try? Nobody cares. What even is the use? Sometimes you can feel that sitting down on your soul. And, and to that, the preacher answers and says, God, God knows and God sees and God cares and, and God loves. So for all of you that are tired and weary and struggling and frustrated and numb, I want you to drink of the refreshing living water that is Christ. Because all we have is now and all we need is Christ. Stay with me now and consider. Just consider with me a couple of things. Just go to the Bible and see what does the book say. Consider with me the following. Number one, we are 
not as we should be. We, we are not how we were originally created, the image of God. You are not as you actually should be. Go with me to the page there. Verse 5 of chapter 2, the preacher, the, the preacher makes a transition from arguing that Christ is better than the angels. In verse 5, he makes the transition, and then he puts the focus on us. He starts talking about humans. And verses 6, 7, and 8 is about mankind. It's about humans. So here's what he does. He does what every good preacher ought to do is go and find a Bible text and use that to explain what it is he's talking about. And for three verses right here in the text from verse 6, 7, and 8, all he does is quote the psalm. Psalm chapter 8, verses 4, 5, and 6. You probably have it in the margin of your Bible. There you, if you have a good study Bible, it says it there in the margin of your Bible. See how he introduces the psalm in verse 6. He just says, it's written somewhere. Do you see it? It has been testified somewhere, and then he goes, flips to the psalm, and Psalm 8, and he gives us a, he gives us a rock-solid doctrine of man, mankind, what it means to be a man or a woman. Notice with me the great, notice the great grace you find there in verse 6. He asks the question, what is man that you are mindful? Where does he get that question? Well, to get the punch of the question, you have to go back to the context. Remember, we'll always find context. What is the context? What's, what David wrote in Psalm chapter 8, to get the punch of it, you got to go back to Psalm chapter 8 and then read the question inside of its context. So let me just read it to you. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, When I look into your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have Set in place, I think, what is man that you're mindful of him? When God has created so much, billions of people on planet Earth, millions of stars in the sky, thousands of gallons, millions of gallons of water, millions of miles, gallons of water of ocean, and yet, He remembers you. Psalmist says it like this, Psalm 103, verse 14. He knows what we're made of. He knows our frame. He remembers, same word, that we're dust. Our, our, our weaknesses, our, our, our tendencies, our hurts, our failures, our frailties, our fears. To know that the ever-present almighty God is here and sees and knows. That's a, that's a, that's a common grace. Because here is talking about mankind. It's a common, what is man that you are mindful of him? That common grace points us to the specific saving grace of Jesus who died on the cross in the place of sinners. So that any sinner that believes that. There's great grace, but there's something else in the passage when you keep looking at it in verse 6. You'll notice the great care. Thank God that he loves us, the great care. This is the question that goes in verse 6 as he quotes the psalm. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man? Now he's still talking about mankind. Or the son of man that you care for him, that you love him. 
It's, just, it's important for you, if you're, if you're a Christian now, would you just think with me, it's important for you to remember he loves you. He loves his creation. I mean, even our gospel, we hear John 3, 16, God loved the world. Think with me for a moment that the, about the people that are close to you. Maybe you have a, a, a child that you love dearly or a spouse or a best friend, someone that you actually really, really love, a parent that you just love. You think about the things that you would do or have done for that person to show your love. Now, now multiply 10,000 by 10,000 times, and you still come up short with understanding how it is that God loves you in Christ. In fact, the best place we go when we talk about the love of God, we need to be specific because the best place to actually see the love of God is there at the cross, when you hear the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, please don't put the gospel somewhere on a shelf that was useful when it saved you and saved you from hell or saved you into heaven. That, that's not all the gospel does. The gospel ministers to our hearts. We think about the goodness and the sovereignty of God, this creator who created all things and created you in his image, that you have the image of God in you, that the sin in our lives has disfigured that image and separated us from God, which is a problem, yet God still pursues. We sang that today. And he loves us, so much so that Jesus, all God and all man, lived perfectly because we can't. He would come and do what we can't do. And then go to the cross. The cross is an instrument of judgment. There the sins will be judged on Jesus. Righteousness given to us. Died on the cross. They took him from the cross, put him in a barred tomb. God raised him from the dead on a Sunday. It's why we gather and celebrate Sunday. He ascended into heaven. And now the gospel offer is to you. If you believe. The Bible says if you turn from sin and believe that, you are saved. It's great, it's great grace and great care, but that's not the only thing. I want you to look in verse 7. Let me show you the great privilege. Look at the great privilege. Notice what the text says in verse 7. You were made, he's talking about mankind now. Let me read it all together. <clears throat> verse 6 and 7. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. Mankind. The creation of God in the great cosmic hierarchy. Think about angels and mankind lower living here on earth for a little while. Angels are to serve mankind. Christ did not die for angels. He died for us. But also be reminded that we are made a little, a little lower than the angels, look at the text, for a little while. It's good to be reminded that he has taken us somewhere. That as a part of his divine plan, he's going somewhere. That there is actual, genuine meaning to what it is that you're going through. Whatever station in life you find yourself in right now, God is using it to refine you, to shape you, to the struggle that you're in is there. You know why it's here? <clears throat> Those things are here so that we don't love this world too much. 
We, we hurt, why? To remind us this world is not our home. Look, COVID is here to remind us to not love this world too much. You ought to be clapping for that. Because I'll tell you the truth, there's not any amount of plastic surgery or vitamin taken that's going to keep you from one day dying. And the truth of the matter is that so many Christians, so-called Christians, act as if this world is all there is. And so all of your attention and focus, you wonder, why am I suffering? The, the Bible says that we are made a little lower than the angels for a while. Surely that's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4.17 when he said that, that this, this light momentary affliction what is it doing? It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And that glory is beyond all comparison. It's a great privilege to be made just a little bit lower than the angels. Don't, don't hold on so tightly. Those aches and pains, those reminders, it's good. I'm, I'm thankful for modern medicine. I'm thankful for that. Thankful that I can go to a doctor thankful that he can tell me about my blood pressure and cholesterol and all that stuff. Do you turn your eyes to God? Why would you hold so tightly to that which lasts just a few seconds when you've been given something that lasts an eternity? It's a great privilege to be made just for a little while, lower than the angels, just for a little while, to get our minds, to get our minds and our hearts on richer things. Not only that, I want you to look at the, I want you to look at the great dignity. Go with me to the middle of verse 7 and read all the way to the middle of verse 8. Look at the great dignity of mankind. Let me go, let me, let me just read it to you. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. I mean, here, here's the reason that we, this is why we view everyone with respect, because the image of God in them. You were made in the image of God. Because I have the image of God in me, or you are made in the image of God, I then am duty-bound as a Christian to give you respect. Every person is made, every human is made in the image of God. This, in view, this, this informs so much of what we believe. You understand that the, the imago Dei, the image of God in people, this informs our view on the sanctity of life. Why do we believe that life is sacred from conception to death? It's because of the image of God. This is why, this is why we hate abortion. It's not a political issue for us. At least it shouldn't be. Don't fall out on the hollow issues of politics. We, we believe this because we believe from conception people are created in the image of God. It has nothing to do with politics. Look, this is why we hate suicide. Not because we think suicide sends somebody to hell. We, look, we need to be clear on this. 
What sends you to hell is not having Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why you go to hell. Suicide, we, we don't like it. We, we stand against that because the sanctity of life, because you don't have the right to take that life, even your own. Or euthanasia. Look, this, this, informs, how, this informs what we think of homelessness or poverty. This tells us why do we have a food pantry? Because we believe that people are made in the image of God and ought to be treated with respect and dignity. Why do I have a clothes closet? Because we believe people are made in the image of God and deserve to be clothed in the wintertime. We go on mission trips, groups going to Lumberton that are repairing and building, doing a whole lot of work for people that are not Christians. We do that in the name of Christ because we believe any person made in the image of God ought to be ministered to. That's why Hearts and Hammers does what they do. This is why Hickory Grove reaches out. It's not just sharing Christ. We also do mercy ministry because people are made in the image of God. This is why we treat one another with respect. This is why we hate sexual abuse or any kind of abuse. This is why we try to be kind to each other because this right here, the Imago Dei, the image of God in you, I want to get in trouble. This is why we believe human life and animal life, they are different. I know some of you have pets and you treat them like humans. The Bible says you ought to take, you ought to take care of your animals. You ought, if you're going to have one, you ought to take care of that animal. But let's just be, a, a pet is a gift from God, or, or it could be from Satan, depending on the pet, I guess. I mean, you've got that dog, and you think that dog loves you like it. That dog loves the food that you give him. <laughs> a, pet is a, a pet is a gift from God, but a person is made in the image of God. And the two are different. Look, this is, I mean, verse 8 tells us this is why we believe in work. Right there in verse 8, do you see what the text says? Uh, quoting the psalm, that's quoting really Genesis putting, go with me to verse 8, putting everything in subjection under his feet. He left nothing out. He's talking about, he's talking about humans. and not talking about Jesus yet. This is still about mankind, men and women. He left nothing outside of man's control. You know what you have right here? Here is the, here's the creation doctrine of dominion. This is why, this is why you organize the garage. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I mean, you go back and read it, and this is what, this is what the Bible says. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is why... Uh, <clears throat> We sat down, Connie and I did to eat supper that night and turn on the television. And she, she said, have you ever watched that show, Hoarders? Hoarders. I said, no, nah, baby, I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can make it through. So she turned it on. And I, this, is, this is why it's an affront. This is why when you look at it, you think that, that is not how things should be. If you ever watched it, I made it through about 90 seconds of the show. 
And I, I know something's wrong, that there's something, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to see that. Something wrong there, that's a creation. That's God put that in us to have dominion. I mean, when you read Genesis 1 or you read the Psalms or right here in the book of Hebrews and you realize that we're not what we're supposed to be. You've forgotten God's grace. We've ignored God's love. We've, we've abandoned I mean, even self-respect, you've forgotten that the, the, you're made in the image of God. Forgotten the special privilege that you've been given or, 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 or devalued the image of God in other people or maybe even in ourselves or, or forsaken the responsibility as caretakers and life watchers. And the preacher takes us all the way through quoting the psalm saying that's what we're supposed to be. But there's a problem as he runs through the end of verse 8. The first point is we are not as we should be. At the end of verse 8, we find out, number two, things are not as they should be. Man, and don't we know it. Let me show it to you right there in the middle of verse 8. I'm going to back up and go into it. Verse 8, putting everything in subjection under his feet... Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, right now, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We sure don't. Well, we, we, can, we can feel the chaos. We can feel the chaos of the world we're living in that takes us to the very border of lunacy. And because I have children in the room here, from, from, from gender confusion, even to mathematics, to the, to the treatment of the human body, to the trampling of rights, to, to corruption that's in the government or seeps into the church that drops into our homes. You'll live this week and you'll feel that the world is not like it's supposed to be. Cars, cars break down, people act out, children rebel, bosses lie. And you read Romans 1, it was in my devotion this week, Romans 1, and it says that in God gave them over. Since the fall, I think last week I said in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, since, since the fall of the first humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden when they sinned, that sin dropped a wall between man and God. But that's not, that sin has affected all of creation. And the way that it's affected us is something called total depravity. Total depravity. You, you ought to get familiar with the phrase total depravity. Now, when I say total depravity, I don't mean that, you, that we are as bad as we possibly could be. I don't mean, like when you think of total depravity, sometimes we think about Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Idi Amin or Pol Pot. We think about some 
terrible dictator, uh, that, and certainly that is a sign of, they're, ter- they're as bad as they could possibly be. Total depravity, that's not total depravity. Total depravity is that all of who I am has been affected in some way by sin. It means that there's not one part of me that is not in some way stained with even the best motivated, even on my best day doing the kindest thing, somewhere in there, that motivation has a twinge of sin in it. Jerry Bridges, uh, great author, Jerry Bridges said, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that what uh, Paul says? When he talks about creation in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, Paul says that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope. Creation groans. Things decay. It's because of sin. Paul tells us God has done that, but there's hope. You see, things are not as they should be. We are not as we should be. Things are not as they should be. Let me... um, Let me end on the gospel there in verse 9. Number 3, Christ makes all things new. I want you to open up your mind beyond what you've done with the gospel, just that it saved you. I want you to see that the gospel preached to your heart on a daily basis makes all things new. Do you see the turn in verse 9? Let me back up in verse 8 and read through and and pick it up as we go. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Here comes the bad news. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Good news. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We see him. I I mean, truthfully, you can feel it. It feels like a terrible time to be alive. It, it, It feels like everything is bad all the time. People hurt, you hurt, I hurt. And then our eyes, verse 9, but we see our eyes turn to Christ, to the gospel. I mean, verse 9 is the gospel. Follow it closely. This is what John MacArthur uh, called the great recovery. The first time the name of Jesus is mentioned is right there in verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. There you have the incarnation, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Do you recognize that language? It's from verse 7. That's from the psalm. So, so what, what, the, what the writer is doing is everything we lost, because we're not what we're supposed to be, Jesus. Jesus is what we were supposed to be. 
He is the true man and the last Adam and the only son. Jesus comes, that's why when we say he earned righteousness, his perfect life. Jesus comes and, and lives how we were supposed to live. Jesus gets back the glory and dominion that that last Adam lost us. So a good way to understand, you, here's a good way for you to understand yourself. You are either in, in the first Adam, Adam and Eve, the first humans, you're either in the first Adam or you are in the second Adam, Jesus. Here, the, 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 the preacher says, now look, the perfect man, Jesus, he has come and gained back what Adam lost. Christ has gained it back for you. And to, verse 9, to comfort our souls, to minister to our hearts in the middle of sin and confusion and pain and COVID and frustration, the preacher takes us to the cross. You see what he says in verse 9? Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Look, you are not. You are not as you should be. You live in a world that is not as it should be. But Christ is all we need. Look, all we have is right now. All we need is Christ. I want you to think with me, with your eyes closed. Let's, let's, let's pray for a moment before we sing. Would you join me as we pray? And when I want to ask the question, the first one is, are, are you still in Adam? Or have you come and put your faith in the crucified, resurrected Jesus, and you are in Christ? Okay, maybe that doesn't apply to you. You've already given your life to Christ. So I would put this before you. Are you right now, even as a child of God, overwhelmed? And you'd like somebody just to pray with you, pray for you, talk about what it means. You just need, you just need a brother or sister to pray for you. We're going to have one more worship song and that's just a time for you to come forward and we'll pray with you. Or, or maybe has, um, you've heard grace a lot today and you're wondering what exactly does that mean? We'd like to explain it further. What does it mean to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus? You've heard that. You're not sure if you are. This morning as we sing the last song of worship, we'll just invite you to come forward be down here in the front and can spend some time talking with you. I want you to walk out of here strengthened. Strengthened in knowing that God cares, God knows, God loves, and the picture of that is found 
in Jesus. Father, thank you for a word that is good, for your grace that is real. God, give us strength to face what we have to face this week. Help us to do so joyfully. May the joy of the Lord that is ours be our strength as we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?